That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello and welcome to a bonus off-season episode of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer podcast. I'm Ben and I'm joined by my co-host Drew. Thanks, Ben. Each episode, we will sample beers, both local and beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or stream each episode on wannabewalkons.com. New episodes drop during the Nebraska football season every Tuesday at 11 a.m. On this week's episode, Ben and I will share our thoughts on Nebraska's coaching changes, the off-season roster updates, and we'll sample a selection of interesting Nebraska craft beers. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, we've been away for just a little bit. We've enjoyed a holiday season and some some just life away from Husker football, even though we're never really away from Husker football. Have you taken up any new hobbies in the offseason? Nope, I've just been sitting in a room just <laughs> waiting, just waiting. No, I've, uh, you know, yeah, I kind of just checked back in with my family to see how they're doing now that uh, there's no football to deal with. And then uh, brewed a couple beers, which was nice to have some open weekends to do that. And, uh, but yeah, now that, um, all the craziness of the off season and signing day has happened and all these hirings have occurred, I'm checked right back in yeah, ready to go. You're so, back. Yeah. Yeah. How about, how about you? How's your time off been? Yeah. Um, I dove deep into solipsism and learned about, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't get into solipsism. I just oh. thought that was funny. <laughs> Apparently it wasn't. So <laughs> on this bonus episode, we're, like we said, we're going to dive into, the coaching changes and some players that are joining the Husker squad, both by recruiting and through the transfer portal. But before we do that, it is always important to us to share with you some local craft beer. And we've got a wide selection in front of us today. Drew and I did a bit of a beer swap. And so we're just taking picks out of the stuff that we brought each other. So Drew, do you want to start? Tell us what you are sampling today. Yeah, what I have is uh, Merlin's Cream Ale, but it's a special edition. This is Juke's Ale Work. Uh, Elworks that does this and Merlin's is one of their flagship beers right so very popular beer this one has a nice spin to it it's a peanut butter and jelly beer and and when I say peanut butter and jelly it's like eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich yeah. it's a, it is incredible it's a wild experience you know right off the bat you smell it it smells like peanut butter you know with a hint of jelly take a drink it's the breadiness comes through as well it's all balanced you know those three ingredients coming together it's a it's just wild it's a lot of fun and it's delicious and i'm trying to slow sip it (laughs) (laughs) trying so we'll see how that how that goes it's probably what though six percent at most it's not even yeah it's it's five and a half percent abv so yeah it's made for i mean it's made for drinking and and 
it's good that it's not a higher as, as opposed to those beers that aren't made for drinking <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah no it's it's an excellent beer i'm happy to share it with you to me it just tastes like the best sparkling grape juice you've ever if you've ever had sparkling grape juice on new year's eve when you were a kid or anything like that it has that little bit of weediness from the, the bread that they're going after and then just this soft drink palateness and the peanut just rounds it out like it's ridiculous how that beer works yeah it's fantastic so thank you for sharing it yeah absolutely so uh you brought over a nice selection of imperial stouts from white elm for me to dive into i give you five and a half percent you gave me 13 percent. so (laughs) (laughs) this could get off the rails pretty fast and i butchered the name of this imperial stout so i'm going to try and say it correctly but if i screw it up feel free to laugh i am drinking the apple brandy champarado did i get that okay perfect so this is a White Elm Imperial Stout, uh, a similar thing where it's kind of a one-off situation. They took their Imperial Stout and aged it in apple brandy barrels with vanilla, wajillo chili, cinnamon, and rock cacao nibs. And this thing is a, a roller coaster. For an Imperial Stout to take on the kind of barrel flavor that it does from the apple, it tastes like a crisp Washington apple that got baked into a pie with that cinnamon and that wajillo Man, what a really well-balanced and surprisingly light yet flavorful stout. I am very impressed with this beer. They said to drink it out of a snifter. I'm drinking it out of a pint glass. So again, <laughs> this could barrel towards the exit ramp pretty fast. I'll be I'll be responsible here. I'll, I'll yeah. keep us. Fortunately, we record at my house, so I don't have to go anywhere after this. This is true. So awesome. Well, those are the beers that we're trying. We're going to try some more later on in the show as we discuss. But for now... It's time for Drew and I to sit down, and we really haven't had a chance to discuss these things just as friends and not on the record. We've shot a couple texts back and forth, but I'm excited to dive into these coaching changes with you. Yeah, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a bit surprising, maybe, some of our answers to the questions we're asking ourselves and what we're looking at. And like you said, we haven't talked about it. A lot of the times we're talking back and forth throughout the season, so we kind of know what to expect or where the other one's uh, mindset is or, you know, just how we're feeling in general about the program. But yeah, going into this episode, I'm not, I mean, I could guess probably where you're at based on where you were and what's happened, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to find out your thoughts. Well, who should we start with first? Who do you want to talk about first? Um, who, who, let's see. Let me see who's first on my list. Okay. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Mickey Joseph, you want to start? Yeah, let's start <laughs> with right. Mickey Joseph. Yeah. Heck yeah. So, so thoughts on Mickey Joseph? I mean, he has been probably the most publicized of the hires, and he's made a lot of the rounds already, going onto radio shows, making himself present in conversations around the state and in recruiting. So, there's a lot that we can talk about with Mickey. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's obviously very familiar with the state and the state's familiar with him and the fan base knows him. Um, And I think that he's a super easy coach to like, you know, I mean, you're excited about having a guy of his caliber. Um, You're excited to welcome somebody home. He wants to be here. He's, you know, he's talked about trying to work his way back here. And so, yeah, it's, it's exciting to have him on board and to see what he can do with, you know, talent that we have on our roster, talent that he's, he's bringing along with him from Louisiana um, and, and just, yeah, everything about this hire to me is incredibly exciting. I just want to correct one thing you said there. He's not bringing any talent with him from Louisiana. Just like Lincoln Riley, he's taking talent out of the transfer portal. None of those guys That's- followed him. <laughs> he went into the transfer portal and got those guys. That's fair enough. So, That's fair enough. So, but anyways. they but you but if you listen to if you listen to the the wide receivers, um not just the guys out of the transfer portal, but the new recruits coming in like Decoldis Crawford, they they wanted to be with him. He's yeah. the reason that they are here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Nebraska Obviously, it's a school they want to be at, you know, all the other the bells and whistles that come with that. But he, first and foremost, is their reason for being here. Well, and it's pretty easy to see when you look at the kind of talent he had at LSU, how he developed them. And then we're recording this the day before the Super Bowl.
Super Bowl, he's very front and center. He's got a pretty easy sales pitch. Um, you want to yeah. work your way up, coached by an elite coach, and then have an opportunity to play on Sundays on the biggest stage in sports, really? Come play with me. Yep. Yeah, his resume speaks for itself. Um, and if you listen to him talk, though, too, you can see why players are attracted to him. He reminds me a lot of Travis Fisher in, yeah. in the way I imagine he runs his room and the way that he gets his guys to compete against one another, but also to like bring them together in that competition. Yeah. Tough love, but true love. Like, yeah. I mean, genuine, it's honest. I like that. I, tough love, but true love. That's yeah. a really nice way of framing that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> but yeah, so I honestly like the, I don't, I've, I haven't heard a single question mark surrounding Mickey Joseph, not a single thing. And I think it um, helps too, that he came in and he hit the ground running as fast as he possibly could. We saw the recruiting that he was able to bring from the high school level. We saw what he was able to pull out of the transfer portal. He not only came to Nebraska saying, I wanted to be here, but he was able to sell that vision to these other recruits and these other students that are coming to play for Nebraska. So it is easy to say, well, Mickey Joseph's already living up to what we thought he would be, which is this all-star recruiter. And we know what kind of coach he can be. And then you start to daydream about guys like Betts and Manning and these guys that were maybe a little underdeveloped or weren't coached to their fullest abilities. Now they've got a guy like Mickey Joseph who – if you go back to the Travis Fisher comparison, who can coach like a Travis Fisher, who buddy, yeah. I would love to see those competitions in practice, Nebraska oh, receivers going against. And I bet in the spring, you're going to see receivers kind of be on the losing side of that. And as that progresses, those are going to be some nasty battles for sure. The for ones sure. on the ones. And one, one other name that you, that you didn't mention, but that I've heard a lot uh, is Elante Brown. We haven't oh, seen yeah. a lot of him, but the, but the players, you know, his teammates are talking a lot about him. And so that's somebody that I'm going to be looking out for yeah. in the spring for sure. I have some quotes from Mickey Joseph that I've heard in various interviews that I want to just throw at you and get your reaction. So he's talked about his receivers playing special teams. And he said uh, in, re in response to a guy like Betts, he says, I'm not asking you to blow up a guy as a gunner. I'm just asking you to run down the field as fast as you can and make a guy fair catch. Yeah. Like, first off, I'm in. Yep. I'm all in. Yeah. Like, I'm looking forward to watching special teams now, which is a weird feeling to have as a Husker fan these past few seasons. It's like, yeah, bring on the special teams. <laughs> Trey Palmer said something like that, too, in an interview where he talked about, I think he was asked about um, tackling or something for receivers on special teams. He said, I'm not, I don't worry about tackling. I just got to get down there fast enough. Yeah. And then I don't have to worry about tackling at all. What a great mindset. Yeah, it's brilliant. One of the other quotes that I have from him is, is kind of in line to that. Wide receiver play in general, he said, if I have to question your toughness, you're not going to like me. Yes, Man, it's brilliant. Brick wall number two that I'm running through mm -hmm. from Mickey Joseph. Yeah, that fits in nicely with the idea that receivers got to block, right? You know, yeah. block, no rock, like that idea that you ditch the prima donna stuff, like you're here to work. I mean, you're a receiver, you're going to get some glamour, I guess, but you're going to have to be tough. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. So then my last quote for him is on recruiting, which we've talked about a little bit already that he's a lockdown recruiter. He said, you leave the state, local players, when we say you can leave the state. Yes. Yeah. I've heard that one. Oh, man. That was one that, like, I don't talk to uh, my wife too much about football because I, I want to keep our marriage together. Um <laughs> But that was the one when I heard that I like I ran to her. I ran to her and I was like, Mel, you have to hear, you have to hear this. And she was like, uh, OK, I like to imagine that she was like in the kitchen or she was in the living room or she was somewhere. And you hear this quote and you just come running through and you spot her, but you can't stop quick enough. And then you crash into a wall and like bounce back. And she's like, are you OK? And you're like, Mickey Joseph just said. Yeah. 
Oh man, she was probably doing something like super important, you know, like taking care of the family, helping to get dinner ready, whatever. And I, yeah, I'm just sitting there. And then now there's like a, a Drew shaped imprint in the drywall because you're like, oh, oh, I had to tell you. Right. Vicky Joseph just said, no one leaves the state until we say they can. Yeah, he had me running like one of his gunners. I was just go, <laughs> going for it. Well, I, I really like this Mickey Joseph hire too because it feels it feels in line with what Scott Frost was trying to bring to the program initially with this reinvestment in Nebraska, reinvesting in the state, reinvesting in his guys. And he brought his guys to Nebraska from UCF and it didn't quite work out. But with Mickey Joseph, he's he's returning to those Nebraska roots, that Nebraska tradition, and he's still able to bring in a guy who's top tier talent, but I think fits even more in line with what he wants out of that Nebraska spirit. So I also like that in that sense, that this doesn't feel like an outside of what Scott Frost really wants for the program kind of higher. It's not like we went out and got the best guy. It's like we went out and got a guy that fit these parameters. He just so happens to be the best guy. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that you know, sometimes things kind of like break your way yeah. in that sense. And certainly like all of Mickey Joseph's ties to the program helped helped us get him here, right? If he was just some other, you know, if he, if he graduated from LSU, he's not going to leave LSU. Um, not for this situation, but to that point also, um, he knows what situation he's getting into, right? Yeah. He knows what Nebraska has been the past few years. He knows that Frost is on thin ice. He's talked about believing in what Frost is still selling, right? Right. Uh, and I don't think he comes here if he doesn't truly believe he's getting into a situation where he can't help turn this thing around. Absolutely. He just fits. He fits yeah. perfectly. And I, there's another guy on this list actually a couple of them i think that are are the right guy at the right time yeah where they just fit with all of everything that frost was looking for in sure. his hire so i agree with what you said as far as mickey joseph being just an excellent fit for nebraska i think that mickey joseph might also go down as one of the most important hires that nebraska makes when we look back on maybe this run if things do get turned around and kind of bringing back that culture and reinforcing that it's one thing to have a leader like frost who's trying to push culture and this nebraska tradition and that sort of thing it's a whole other thing to have a second guy then who can create that lead and might be even more popular in the player's eyes and things like that nature. So I think when we look back on this, Mickey Joseph's going to be a very foundational hire for any success that we see in the future, both with player development in crucial areas and skill positions, but just also generally as a culture of winning. Yeah, I like that thought. I like that having, I mean, the more guys that you can have on that that level with assistant coaches, where I feel like, you know, Scott Frost has 150 players on his team or whatever, but it, when you have assistant coaches, you know, they've got a room with five to 10 to 12, 15 guys, whatever, you're close to your assistants, right? And so right. If, if, if Scott Frost has a message that's making it to each room, and he has those people, those, those people he can count on, like Mickey Joseph, Travis Fisher, those kind of guys, to repeat that message and live that message, yeah, you're going to see positive results from that. Awesome. Who do you want to move to next? Who do you want to chitty can, chat about next? We can stick with uh, Nebraska guys. We can talk about Bill Bush, because I know you got a lot of good things to say about that. Oh, that, I got a lot man. of things to say about Bill Bush. Yeah, I, Bill Bush is great. He's just a guy who, who knows how to coach what he coaches and can also lend himself to other areas. So I think having him be a coach who can now be on the field to coach special teams, but then also assistant linebackers where he's had success. I think that we're going to see some additional development on guys who came in as very high recruiting choices in linebacker play, but haven't quite excelled in the way that we hope they would. Kind of like your uh, Jackson Hannas who transferred out and some other guys who maybe didn't get the coaching they were expecting. Now that they've got a guy like Rude, but also a guy like Bush who excels in the coaching area, those might blend together really well. 
Yeah, and if you're, I mean, if you're a linebacker you, and you can shine on special teams for Bush, that might help lend you lend yourself to better chance at playing time. And he can, you know, if he's talking to them about special teams, uh, he can talk to them again about their technique, you know, on, on defense or whatever. So it's certainly certainly helpful to have coaches like that who are versatile and can yeah lend their expertise to multiple uh, spots on the field. Yeah. So when I when I look at Bill Bush, I think one of the most impressive things is his 2005 season under Nebraska. There's some crazy stats that in 2005 this was the kind of special teams he had. He coached Nebraska to 17th in the country on punt returns, averaging 12.94 yards per return on 50 returns. That's an insane number. That is crazy. When you look back compared that, to this past year, yeah. It was it was for punt returns it was we had 10 punt returns for 27 total yards. Oh, okay. So whoops, two point seven <laughs> yeah. yards per return. Yeah. So yeah, we're bumping 10 up yards. ten extra yards. Yeah. An additional first down. It's insane. Another crazy stat with Bill Bush is that in two thousand five he coached Nebraska punter Sam Cook to twenty fourth in net punting with an average of forty six point five yards per punt. That's only half a yard better than incoming punter Brian Buschini. Yeah. Those those guys come by. I mean, if you think about those stats, I think and that's if I remember right, like seven ish seven to eight yards more you know per punt yeah um than what we had last year so you combine those numbers and you're looking at what 15 to 20 yards difference for field position which is on just on your punting game alone yeah which is huge that's that's massive it really is yeah it's it's pretty incredible um and it's you know this is one of those things it's like these are these are things that were just overlooked for the longest time and now you have somebody who knows what they're doing who's going to bring an incredible amount of energy you know attention to detail passion for this area mm-hmm. and it's just yeah this is this is a hire that's got me almost as if not just as excited as Mickey Joseph yeah it's kind of a low-key exciting hire that I think if you don't really dive in can be overlooked but when I mean we focused a lot last year talking special teams mm-hmm. that was a huge crawl on our side and, and in a lot of people who look at Nebraska football but we really harped on it over and over and over that sometimes just doing the bare minimum would have gotten Nebraska more than the poor attempts they were making at anything else. Bush is the kind of guy who's not going to settle for that at all. And then not to mention, he went out and brought in some incredibly good specialists that we'll talk about from the transfer portal who are going to make an immediate impact on Nebraska special teams in all facets. So yeah, I'm, I'm such, such an important hire and he was already in the building, which is the best part. He's yeah, he's very familiar. He's one of those guys that that knows he knows the facilities. He knows a lot of these players already, and uh, he knows a lot of the coaches too. So yeah. it's yeah, it's great. I'm happy they got a special teams coordinator. I'm ecstatic that they got they they put Bill Bush in this position. Yeah, absolutely. So. And and it's going to be neat to see. I think how much different having him in a on field coaching position impacts versus just having him as an analyst and and what that looks like and bringing that to the table. I'm sure it's going to make a massive improvement. But then again, once they're done with special teams, being able to use him in other areas that he's already excellent at, he's not just an extra warm body running drills. He's a guy who can lean in and really coach. And it, and it helps move Dawson from where he is back to the defensive line. And it just it just makes sense with his coaching staff and what they needed to bring Bill Bush back in. Yeah. Yep. I love it. All right. Who's next? Let's talk about Brian Applewhite. Yeah, let's do it. The first thing I have to say about Applewhite and why I know this is going to be a great hire is because he and I are kindred spirits in the sense that we are both alumni of the University of Northern Colorado. Go Bears. Yeah, you both know exactly what Greeley, Colorado smells like. (laughs) Forever ingrained. (laughs) Which isn't great. No. 
But you've ever been. He was also a fullback on their 1997 and 1998 national championship team back to back. So he knows what it feels like to go back to back to win a national championship in 1997 and lay proper claim to it. <laughs> the only team who wears navy blue and, and gold or yellow who deserves to be calling themselves a national champion. Nice. In how many? How was the football program when you were there? I never went to a game, and that should be the answer. <laughs> it was not great. You know, the, the thing about Northern Colorado when I went, which was from 2006 to 2010, is they were in their transition to Division One. Oh, okay. And that's a really hard step up to make. Yeah. And I was also at home watching Husker games anyways on Saturday, so. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. I can attest to that. I went to uh, North Texas for a while, and the same. Like, yeah. such a, just a terrible football atmosphere. Sure. I would try to start chants in the student section, and nobody gave a shit. Like, nobody <laughs> cared. It was a jazz school. Sit down, so, buddy. Yeah, shut up. We're trying to watch a game. <laughs> We're trying to hear the jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, what I really like about Apple White is that he immediately elevated TCU's running back room through coaching and recruiting. He's responsible for landing TCU's first ever five-star recruit with running back Zach Evans, who immediately transferred after this season as well. So that tells you that he did have some loyalty within his coaching that once his guys departed that, that running back, he was going to depart. So that tells me that, that Apple White does create that relationship with his players. What I also really like about him is in all of his coaching stops, he has continued to coach and elevate the yards per carry at each stop. And that's something that I really like to look into when I look at, okay, how good is a coaching hire? He joined the TCU coaching staff in 2020. In 2018, they averaged 4.8 yards per carry. In 2019, they averaged 5 yards per carry. His first year in 2020, 5.9 yards per carry. His second year, 5.8. When we dive into it a little bit more with, with Mark Whipple, his offense accelerates and, and does really great things when your running backs are running just under five yards per carry. So like the 4.6, 4.8, that's really where Mark Whipple's offense excels. Yeah. Nebraska had 4.8, 4.6, 4.8 during the same stretch that Applewhite was at TCU. So it tells me that Nebraska has the talent to do what Whipple needs. And in Applewhite, they have the coach who can get them to that and beyond. Yeah, he he had a couple of guys that were rushing for over seven yards a carry. Yeah, uh, back in back to back years, um, and they were three stars. Yeah, they were three star he's, recruits. He's elevated guys. You know, and another interesting thing is while we're comparing uh, TCU under with Applewhite and Pitt with Whipple and even Nebraska is none of these teams really had like a bell cow rusher it looks like what at tcu didn't have a rusher over 700 yards uh, but they had three guys who went for over 400 this past year pitt was in a similar situation and then nebraska you know they leaned on ramir johnson a lot and some of that was due to injury but they they would shuffle through guys obviously yeah. yamp got you know a game in there and so nebraska has and they've tried to build under frost a, a room full of guys different you with different skill sets that that they could just throw out on a whim or according to a game plan. And I think that that suits kind of what Applewhite is used to and what Mark Whipple's even used to. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, I actually noted that same thing was Pitt had an incredibly successful offense. They could score, they could move the ball downfield, and they did do it with under five yards of a rush. Yeah. You know, like they didn't have an incredibly strong running game or they didn't lean on that running game and so yeah it'll be interesting to see if apple white can get an extra yard out of these nebraska players you know on each play what that translates into yeah i think when you look at apple white he's not the sexiest or the sleekest hire when it comes to well who's this guy he's not one of the big names or anything like that but he is a guy who fits the criteria of what you're looking for to be successful and he's got a proven track record of recruiting and improving players and that's something that was somewhat lacking in that running back room. He was able to bring guys in who are incredibly talented, make great relationships with them, 
but we just didn't see them excel. And part of that may be also on the offensive line play, but you also are just a little disappointed that you're in the Big Ten. You're a school that's known for this rich history of offensive line play and running back play, and yet you're not producing guys who can consistently get above five yards per carry. Our best year under Scott Frost's staff was our first year as far as yards per carry, and that was about 6.2 yards per carry, and that's when we had a Zigbo go for over 1,000 yards. We haven't matched that. We haven't come even close to that in a long time. Yeah. Um, one other area that I that I, I don't honestly know much about Apple White's experience here and, and didn't look too much into it, but Nebraska's running backs had a lot of trouble blocking on the pass. That was a huge area of weakness for them. And again, some of that's probably to do with the offensive line. You know, you don't want to rely on a running back necessarily to do all your pass blocking. Um, <laughs> to, to stop an edge rusher yeah, in the Big Ten, you yeah, don't want to rely on a... <laughs> generally not, you know. <laughs> but it's still, like, you still want to see something out of them because you do rely on them, you know, at times. Yeah. And so, I, I don't know, as him being a running back coach through his entire career, having played at fullback, like, I, ho- I hope and I assume that he, he knows a thing or two about blocking. And I think when he comes from, he's not a running back himself. He was a fullback. Mm-hmm. So I think the expectation is, yeah, he better know how to block. Yeah. You know, a fullback on a national championship winning team knows how to block and carry, but also knows how to run hard. And when you think about Mickey Joseph and his mindset of, if you're not tough, you're not going to like me. You think about bringing in a former fullback to be your running backs coach. That's running with some nastiness. When we get to talking about Rayola, nastiness comes up again. There's this fire that maybe didn't exist previously in the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball that I think the defense locked into and, you know, went to battle with. So seeing some of those key things running through, those key concepts running through in these new hires is really exciting to me. Let's let's go into Rayola then. Let's talk uh, about right. Donovan. Yeah. You know him more than any of us because you're a Chicago Bears I fan. I am a Bears fan and I will say that that was not that was not Rayola's fault. <laughs> Everything that happened there that was a uh, they, you know your what, though, son's they not down here. That is a that was a fucked up organization. They had some really really bad luck with injuries along that offensive line. Yep. I don't remember exactly how many um, different combinations of you know starting fives they had, but they, they, like, I think they went through twenty to thirty different combinations. Like it was insane. Yeah. And so I look at that almost as a positive experience for Rayola. Mm-hmm. He knows what it's like to have to deal with you know not knowing you're having a set five, not having those guys in place, having to deal with adversity through injury, having to deal with guys who are underperforming. You know he's he's been there in Nebraska, is kind of dealing with that now. Like they have some very talented guys, some guys that they're looking at that have uh, a lot of potential mm-hmm. but we're also dealing with inj- injuries right now you know Corcoran is is out for the spring Prohaska is still healing up so he's out for the spring and so he's gonna have to play around with the guys in the room and find out where the the fit is for each one sure yeah but anyway so we, we don't have to talk about the Bears though we can we can stick to Nebraska because there's <laughs> a little bit more positivity there at least oof yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. But no, I you know, like Rayola is is he's getting a lot he has a lot of question marks around him and I think it's rightfully so cuz of all the hires he has the least amount of experience. There's the least known about him. I and I also think too because it's one of the largest areas of opportunity for this Nebraska offense. A lot of pain points started and ended with that line play. Yeah. And so it feels like the most important position to get this whole thing up and running, maybe just outside of special teams is this guy. Yeah. And that's where a lot of my initial kind of came when the name was announced with the experience. Sorry to cut you off, but no, I just want to no. throw that in there. No, and I, yeah, and I agree to that. Um, you know, Nebraska fans, obviously, we we care about our offensive line, and that's the thing that we kind of pride ourselves on. And it's, that's part of the reason why it's been so difficult to watch this team is not just the 
it's not just the losing it's the way that we're losing especially on offense and so yeah you you know you wanted to see an exciting hire here too and I think because Mickey Joseph is such a great hire and we're so excited about Bill Bush and then you you, you hear Rayola and you're like oh Rayola I know that name but then it's like oh this like what has he done it's not it's just not as exciting there's not as much there yeah and then if you listen to like his, his introductory pe- press conference and stuff he's a man of few words you yeah. know he speaks in in just sort of like vague just generalities he doesn't offer a lot about you know details about how he plans on coaching these guys how he plans on fixing this thing and so I'm not saying he, he can't do it. I'm not saying this is a bad hire by any means I'm just saying that there's not a lot there to really instill that confidence sure where you kind of wanted to have confidence yeah and so this is this is my most questionable hire yeah but it's it's not one that i think is necessarily bad i don't think that frost just went with like his last option because he was right. running out of guys and right. everybody was saying no if you look at his other hires, like these, he's getting top top hires in all these other positions that are equally important as offensive line yeah um we've struggled in these other areas too um, but he was still able to bring in these really great, you know, really big names. And so I don't think that Donovan Rayola is a bad hire. I don't think he was a last resort. I just he just doesn't have the the resume that these other guys have. I think that players are gonna relate to him. Mm-hmm. I think they're gonna like the fact that he, you know, he's played recently, relatively recently in the Big Ten. He does have, you know, that NFL coaching experience. He has a different coaching approach than Greg Austin did. And so he is more about the attacking style. Yep. He focuses on fundamentals and stuff, but it really is more of like you're going in there with this, this certain mindset and you're just going to out-tough these other guys. And so I'm excited to see how that translates with you know players along the offensive line who we think are not being developed the way they should have been these past few years. Sure. So when Rayola was announced, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, Rayola really sticks out like a sore thumb for a lot of the reasons that you just expressed, where it's he's, he's just the most questionable. He doesn't have the resume to back it up. The more I took the time to dive into Rayola and the more I thought about what this offensive line was missing last year, the more excited I am for him to really be a diamond in the rough. I really think he's going to be that guy that we go, oh, we got a good one and we didn't have to pay him a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) So Rayola was a team captain during his play at Wisconsin, which he was an offensive lineman at Wisconsin. He comes from a tradition of violent line play and running the ball which is what we were missing in a lot of that offensive line play was the ability to just shove the ball down the guy's throats, to close out games, to make the conservative play call look like the obvious and the must-do played call, right? So a lot of those games where Nebraska could have they just gotten the first down or hadn't had to give the ball back to the opponent, we walk away winning those games. He comes from a system that excels in that. So already his base, his intuition, the things he learned at that high level are going to play into it really well. Frost has also been quoted saying about Raiola, to me what he coaches is really modern and it's what I believe in. He's going to get the guys ripping off the ball and running and trying to get people moved. It's a little different what from some other people coach. It's what I believe in and based our personnel and the type of offense we run. I think it's the best thing for us. I think he is as good a guy as there is to teach those things and what we want to get done. For me, Raiola feels the most frosty of the coaching hires. And, and what I mean by that is, is the other four coaches you look at and go, yeah, that's a pretty sharp hire. That's a pretty top-tier hire. Frost interviewed Jeff Quinn from Notre Dame, who is a legendary offensive line coach, who's a guy who knows how to coach offensive lines. Notre Dame's been very successful as of late in Chip Kelly's offense. Like They've been a great offensive team. And he passed on Jeff Quinn to go with Rayola. So it feels kind of like that shoot-from-the-hip 
Frost style of like, I know a little bit more than you do. I'm the smart whiz kid on the block. And I think he needs that to still be bought in, in a sense, with these new coaches. So I get why Frost brought him in. I'm bought into what Rayola does. And then I think back to a conversation I had. This is this is going to be a name drop because I very rarely come across these situations. But I was able to speak to someone in Cam Jurgen's personal camp. And they talked to me about some of the frustrations that they had been having watching the offensive line play. That Cam was playing with this violence, this downfield approach this aggression, and not a lot of linemen followed that lead. Well, it sounds like that's an, that's the expectation under Rayola. Yeah. I did not speak to anybody in his camp. <laughs> but you felt the I, same way. <laughs> yeah. I was honestly, oh, yeah, damn. I was going to interrupt you a little earlier and talk about Cam, but I was like, I'll let you finish your piece. But now nah, you jumped on it. Okay. But well, yeah, go no, ahead. Let's, but that's let's talk true, about it. Like, yeah. right? We did. We all witnessed that. We all saw Cam, like, getting flags for being aggressive, yeah. which, you know, dumb penalties that, that shouldn't probably have been called, but... He always played like that. And yeah. yeah, that's probably why he left because he's he probably was a little bit tired of, you know, leading by example, but nobody was following sure. him. I hope that Rayola can instill that in these guys. And I'm sure that they all have it in them. You don't you don't make it to this level if you don't have a little bit of that attitude and that yeah. nastiness. It's just how do you extract that from these guys and how do you get all of them to buy into it on every single play? I think what's also great is you're getting a fresh set of eyes. So you're not getting these preconceived notions on who your starting line is. And so the guys who show what Rayola wants on the field are going to be the guys put in there. And those might be, again, the diamonds in the rough. These might be the guys that we brought into the program because we saw something. And now he's the coach who has these expectations and he's going to pull those out of the right guys. So I'm still leery. I'm still questionable on how this offensive line is going to look because it would be a hell of a turnaround. But if we can at least see that improvement, this guy might be the fit that we were missing. Yeah, and I think they he doesn't have to completely turn this thing around. I think I think people could probably assume that Frost has two years to to kind of show things, unless like the bottom completely falls out again this year. I think just Rayola just needs to steady the ship this year, and then and then take the leap next year. Yeah, assuming those two years are available to him. So if he can just get these guys to just buy in, regardless of whether they're whether they're perfect, whether they're actually like helping us gain that extra half a yard per carry, whatever we need, it doesn't have to be night and day difference. It just it has to be average. It has to be better. It just has to be a little bit better. Yeah. Right. Just enough to allow the new quarterback, these receivers, the running backs, just enough room to work, to use their skill sets, to, you know, help this offense take a step forward and put an extra touchdown a game on the board. I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Or two. Or, you know, well, yeah, or, you know, three. Why not? Or why three. stop it? Yeah, why stop it? So speaking 14? of touchdowns on the board, <laughs> it is time to talk about the last of the offensive coaching hires. Mr. Whipple, my favorite hire. Is he? He is my favorite hire. Okay, I'm excited I've, to hear why. I've spoken highly of Mickey Joseph and Bill Bush, and, and I am and I like Donovan Rayola, and, and I really like Applewhite. M- Mark Whipple, to me, is, of all the coaches, the absolute right guy at the absolute right time for Frost. Really? And you've talked about this a lot with Trev Alberts. Frost needed the right guy in that AD spot, that right leadership to show him the way, yeah, right? Yeah. To kind of to open his eyes, to really take that mentorship role. And I, I to, did make those great observations. You, that was yeah. wonderful. And I was and I and you know what? I've and I in my break, I thought about that a lot. Really? Uh, and I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, no, and, the, and you're seeing yeah, tell me, tell me less this. about Whipple. Tell me more about <laughs> what I did so well. You really helped um, turn this thing around. I think. I think you're seeing all these hires and the way that Frost has really approached this off season and and handled business and the way that he's he's continued to get people to buy into what he's doing. 
it shows you, I think, that he's he's learning, yeah. you know, and what, what the results will be, I don't know. We're, we're going to find out together, but... Mark Whipple, it fits that role of, you know, the he's he's old the old hand, he's experienced, you know, he's very, very comfortable with himself, mm-hmm. what he knows, what he does. He is not gonna be a yes man to frost. He's gonna he's gonna bring in a ton of ideas. I think I think that he owns this offense more than Frost does. Great. Frost owns the team, but this is gonna be this is gonna be Mark Whipple's offense. And I think that's very important. Yeah. And it's not because I mean it is because I think Mark Whipple's a better offensive coordinator than Frost, right? Right now at least. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And, and he's shown that. So And he's a little better than Matt Lubick. He, <laughs> <laughs> he's Mark Whipple, I can I can say probably has held less jobs at a bank. <laughs> Certainly in the last He's decade. He's approved fewer mortgages <laughs> yeah. and um, refinanced fewer homes. <laughs> Nobody, I'm, I'm excited about this. He's, he is a, he's, and he's a different mindset, right? He's a different philosophy than Frost. He's, he's a pass heavy guy. He's got experience with quarterbacks. He's somebody that, that I think Frost can trust. Like Frost said, was very important to him. And then he's shown that he can develop teams over time and this is one thing that you and I did talk about yeah in our time away at Pitt he was with them for three years and he almost doubled their points per game in those three years but it was a step up each year and what we saw with his yards per play also I mean it those first two years it held steady at just over five yards and then they took a big leap to 6.37 yards per play which is a nice big jump but that's a that's a building block process. Like yeah. that doesn't just happen by accident. His offensive line at Pitt went from one of the worst to one of the best that they've had. Then one of the best in the nation last year. He had a Bolitnikoff Award winner in Jordan Addison at wide receiver. Obviously, Kenny Pickett was a quarterback uh, Heisman finalist. The dude shows that he can develop an entire offense. He has head coaching experience. Like it's it's I don't know. It's just it's just almost too perfect of a resume when. Frost was laying out everything he was looking for. Like, yeah. this is this is what he was saying. This is what he wanted, and he got exactly this. Yeah. And then, one more thing. The other thing that I noticed, so when Whipple was doing his introductory press conference, he was talking about, throughout the, like, the why not? You know, I've never been to Nebraska. I've never been to the Big Ten. I like challenges, blah, blah, blah. And it made me, it re- made me recall Mike Riley's, like, one last ride type yeah. comment. But it was entirely different it was a complete like 180 as term in terms of like i think what they actually meant and where they're going but what i really like about mark whipple when i break it down and look at statistics if you track his career every stop he's been at has progressively gotten better year by year by year and you mentioned it with Pitt, but i think it's also important to look at a place like umass in 2014 he joined the UMass coaching staff for the second time. Mm-hmm. They progressed better and better yards per game every year. In 2015, they were at 399 yards per game. 2016, they went to 356. So they went down, but then in 2017, 433. 2018, 437. So you're seeing this progression. If you were to chart it out on a map, there's growth. When it comes to points per game at UMass, in 2015, it was 22.2. In 2016, it was 23.3. 2017 was 30.6. 2018 was 32.8. Again, we're progressing upward and upward. And in, in fact, it shows that he was even more efficient in scoring points than he was in gaining yards, which, if you know anything about Nebraska, <laughs> has been the opposite, right? Incredibly right. efficient at gaining yards, not efficient at scoring points. And so this is the right mind, and I agree with you on that, that he's progressively getting better. He's showing improvement. He's also the guy to continue to coach up and coach up your quarterbacks. And all the offensive statistics around him seem to improve. He is elite offensive coordinator material, which is what Scott Frost needed to get to the next level as a head coach. He needed people around him who could elevate him as a head coach and not have to have him worry about 
the smaller details. Mark Whipple is efficient at scoring points, and the more time he has in an offense, the better that offensive gets at putting numbers on the board. So he's your favorite hire. He, yeah, he is. He is just because, again, it's just a, it's a matter of fit. Like, like Mickey Joseph is like heads head and shoulder above you know any other wide receiver coach you know that I know anyway. And and what he's done recently as far as getting guys into the the NFL has been incredible, and the success they're having there is incredible. But as far as like getting this thing to be corrected, like really truly corrected, I think Mark Whipple has more to say about that in the offensive coordinator position in allowing Frost to have that that true hands off CEO approach. Yeah, I just think that that was the most pressing issue. And Mark Whipple helps to resolve that. I also feel like if any of the offensive coaches underperform or if their uh, if their rooms underperform, they're going to hear it from Whipple before they even hear it from Frost. Hey, your guys aren't fucking blocking for me the way they need to block or your guys aren't running the right routes or your guys aren't, you know, they're not getting the yards I need to make this thing. Like, I think you're going to hear it from him before Frost even has to come down on him. Yeah. And I think. That's something that was also maybe missing, again, with that kind of leadership. So I, I agree. I think Whipple's a, a great hire. Mickey Joseph is the obvious choice for the, the best hire because it is so flashy and fun to have him on board. So I'm going to go with that. But I think you're right. I think that we're going to see some fun things out of Whipple in, in the next year and hopefully years to come. Yeah, cool. What, what do you say we grab another beer and then talk about some players? Yeah, we had a long way to go. We still got a couple things to dig into here, don't we? Buckle up, oh. folks. <laughs> We're going to grab another beer, and then we'll tell you all about them. All right, Drew, so you pulled out this bottle that you've been holding on to from Cross Strain, and it's kind of a specialty bottle that they have, and I'm going to let you take over and describe this bottle, and then we'll talk about the the tasting notes to it. But this is a really, really fun and interesting beer and experience, like a, a real drinking experience. Yeah, this this one I I grabbed from Cross Strain. I was, I was there just picking up some beer, and I, I grabbed a couple like that I really like of theirs. They're one of the breweries that no matter what they put out, like I just trust it's going to be good regardless of the style or whatever. So this is something that's a little bit different for what I normally go for. But I thought, you know, this would be a great bottle for us to share and uh, just to see what it's all about. So this is a Saison. It's it's we're, we did some research just beforehand here, too, because so this is what is called a fooder aged farmhouse ale. And yeah. so we had to we had to research. A, how the hell do you pronounce fooder? <laughs> it's a Dutch word. Fooder is just a large oak barrel, right? And so we found out it's it's normally for like aging wine. Yeah. It's a giant oak barrel. So you're going to get sort of the same thing that you would get from, I guess, like a traditional oak barrel, but in a bigger form. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Usually what brewers will do is they'll use it to age these sours or, you know, saisons. And again, not my style, right? Like not my thing. No, I was actually wanted surprised. To, yeah. yeah. Wanted to step outside of my comfort zone, do it with somebody I trusted like Crossstrain. <laughs> Oh, and, I thought you were going to say me. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Drink a beer I with someone that. I trusted. <laughs> but this is this is pretty fantastic. Yeah. This makes me want to go back. So they had a whole row, you know, in their in their grab-and-go cooler of these just sort of experimental ales. And so this is like number 714, and it's got 6.04% ABV. They had some other ones, you know, they're all just numbered. So I just grabbed a random bottle, and, and here we are. But I don't know if you want to describe your experience, yeah. what you're getting from this. Yeah, so on the nose, it, I, I believe you when you say farmhouse because you're getting a lot of the hay, you're getting a lot of the earthy, you're getting a lot of those farmhousey notes that you would expect from a wild yeast and maybe the grain that they're using in this beer. It's very much one of those where it's it's an undeniable smell. For some people, they might sniff it and go, man, this is off-putting as well because those wild yeast notes can be olivey, they can be mushroomy, they can be wet cardboardy, they can be hay, they can be a lot of descriptors where you're like, and you 
drank it after that? Like, <laughs> but, but explore those things because they taste nothing like that on the palate, right? Those are just the scents that you're getting. And then when you drink it, it's almost like, to me, this is a, when I say it's a beer drinking experience, it's because it's transportational. It, it takes you to a place where you're like, I'm on a Dutch farm. Someone handed me this bottle of, of wine or beer that they're like, we brewed this ourselves, <laughs> you know, and I believe that maybe they filtered it through hay and then aged it in this beautiful oak barrel. That's a family heirloom. And you get notes of beer. You get notes of like a dry, crisp white wine. You get some really exploratory notes in this beer and then just this beautiful creamy finish right at the end. And Drew, you mentioned and listeners to our show know Drew's not a fan of sours in the slightest and this not beer leans but, towards that area mm-hmm. but that finishing piece that that barrel touch from that that sour and that creaminess takes away that pucker big time so you get the lemony mm-hmm. notes you get the grassy notes you get the earthiness of this beer a little bit of that wild yeast and then just this clean finish where like i don't have an aftertaste in my mouth i don't have like anything unpleasant or bitterness or anything like that i just want to go in and drink more and at six percent i can yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, that's true. Like I do have like a physical adverse reaction to to sourness. I'm just I'm just sensitive to it, and so everything just kind of clenches up. My you know I pucker really hard. I usually make a face that'll make people laugh. Like it's <laughs> it's real. It's bad, and so you know uh, you know trying trying a beer like this is always you know a little bit of an adventure. But this yeah it this though I think it's the way that they they aged it. What you know that takes away that that puckeriness takes away all that sour you know, adverse reaction that I would normally expect. And it allows me to enjoy the beer. Yeah. And it's like you said, there is that little funk, you know, when you smell it. Little's being kind. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, and I don't, cause I don't want to shy people away if they try it. Like that's true. Ignore that's the scent true. because sometimes, I mean, Drew and I always sit here and we sip and sniff these beers as we're drinking them. We look probably super pretentious. Like we, total assholes. Yeah. Yeah. But we want to, we want to really experience the entire complexity of the beer this is a beer where ignore the smell. You go, oh, that doesn't taste or smell that great. But when you start to sip it, it just opens up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you said you don't get like a lot of aftertaste. I don't either. Like, but as I'm as I'm breathing out, like I can still, I as I'm breathing out, I can still sense that you, that aroma. That's that's where but I really it's get lightened it. and it's it's sweetened and it's nice. It's I'm starting pleasant. to get a lot of citrus notes on this too, like a lot of really light florally citrusy sort of again white wine type yeah, notes. It yeah. really reminds me of a sparkling white wine, a very dry white wine that's made with a wild yeast. Yeah. I think white wine's a very good comparison there. But cross strain again, they they have these bottles available. I'm assuming I don't I'm assuming they just kind of churn them out, you know, on a whim or it's maybe it's a part of a series that they do. Either way, pop in sometime like if even if they don't have something special available or you don't want to go you know out on a limb and and do do one of these, you know, wild yeast beers that they're doing. They have a lot of just incredibly good, you know, like what you'd typically expect from yeah. from a beer. They do really great, you know, Czech style, German style, like a Hells and stuff. So, and then obviously they've got their IPAs that they're they're yeah. really well known for too. Oh, so. absolutely, that Fairy Nectar is is probably up there and synonymous with some of the best beers that Nebraska puts out. For some sure, some of the most like loyal mm-hmm. beer drinking fans in Nebraska. Fairy Nectar is high on on a lot of people's lists. Yeah, rightfully so. Absolutely. But anyway, we can we can dive back into football now. We still have can a, we? we still have a can lot we? left to cover here. Um, so let's talk about some new players that are going to be on the Nebraska roster in the 2022 season. I'm going to let you take the lead because you are out of the pair of us. You are the recruiting and transfer portal guru. 
not not at all a guru. And actually, I will say this: I during the Mike Riley years, yeah, I got I really loved following recruiting. Yeah, probably because I hated the football, <laughs> so I needed something. But yeah, no, I really got. I really got it, and, they, and that was a big part of the the era. I think in that coaching regime was that was what they were doing. They were selling the recruiting, and there were some yeah. great recruiters. And we got a lot of like really big name guys to be excited about that obviously never panned out or transferred out. My enthusiasm peaked at that time, and it's yeah. it's gone back probably to a more normal level. Yeah, which was, might be good. Was Micah Parsons? Was he like the peak of oh, that? Oh Jesus! Yeah, and that he's Friday still, Night Lights camp. I can't. I cannot see his name. I cannot watch him play without thinking like, mm, what if? You what could have been? And yeah, and like thinking back to that time, it's nothing so, would have been different. Crazy. <laughs> him in the Mark Banker defense. <laughs> yeah, would have been in effect. I mean, yeah. oh man, but yeah, that was that was my my peak interest but i'm still i still kind of follow along and i and i do get excited about guys it's i think it's refreshing you know if you have a losing season obviously getting a new crop of guys in is exciting because there's a lot of potential there and it's that's what we do in the off season is we hype ourselves right the hell back up in yep. spite of our best reasoning but i think with the 2022 class i think what you have to do is you really do have to divide it into two parts and that's going to be your recruits like your traditional guys out of high school in the juco ranks and then you also have the transfer portal guys. This class especially is divided because the that recruiting, the traditional recruiting class was a little smaller in size. Yeah. I think that the staff kind of, maybe some of them maybe dragged their feet a little bit on how hard they were recruiting because they either knew they were out the door or they were out the door for part of the season. And Nebraska probably didn't have the pick of the litter this time around. They put together a lot of really great, you know, highly ranked recruiting classes first few years under Scott Frost. But then this one, you know, it, it took a little hit in terms of rankings. And so- sure. So yeah, but anyway, so you have your traditional recruits and then you have your portal additions. I think moving forward, you're going to see that split continue, even with larger traditional recruiting classes. I think Nebraska, at least for now, I think they're going to rely on the portal to help get them there a little quicker. And you saw that success with Michigan State within the same conference, right? Against some of the same foes that we're going to be facing, most of the same foes that we're going to be facing, having great success with that transfer portal. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that I'm more excited even about these portal players because, you know, when a guy puts up 50 touchdowns in high school and, you're, and then you hear that he's like class one DDD, how does that compare to the guys that they're getting in the SEC or they're getting at Ohio State or Wisconsin? Like those are tough to compare. But when you hear this guy came from TCU and put up these numbers, this guy came from LSU and put up these numbers. Yeah, those stats are a lot more fun to chew on. They're a lot yeah. more fun to dig into. It's, it's you know, watching the tape on them is that tape. Watching highlights is, is more fun. Watching the tape. Yeah, <laughs> I down. don't. I'm watching tape, kids. <laughs> I can honestly, I've never watched tape. I just, I just, know, I I just out of my mouth. <laughs> picture you like in the corner with a VCR and an old like 13 inch TV and like your kids like, dad, it's bedtime. I'm watching tape right now. <laughs> Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> oh, man. For your podcast, no. daddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who told you it was a podcast? And this matters. <laughs> oh God. Where were we? Talking about players. Oh yeah. And not the you and I kind. <laughs> we so should, we should have started you off with a <laughs> with a five and a half. <laughs> yeah, that thirteen percenter, man. I am sweaty. <laughs> anyway, so oh, who yeah. do you want to talk anyway, about first? So let's well, let's look at so let's start with the that traditional recruiting class. Cool. Um, like I said, this one's going to be ranked a little bit lower than what we've seen from Frost in the past. He he has had. A series of top 20 recruiting classes 
And this one was ranked around 40th yeah. this year, right? And that's about 10th in the Big Ten, which, you know, according to Nebraska standards, obviously isn't great. But rankings, you know, they matter to some people. As far as I'm concerned, they don't mean that much, especially when it's a team like Nebraska. Like if Alabama fell to 20th, like that would mean that would be a pretty big drop off for them. Yeah. Nebraska going from 20th to 40th, like that's a drop, but it's not as big as it would be if, if they were higher, more highly rated. And when you look to in comparison to the competition, right? The Big Ten is not out here recruiting. Big Ten's more known for developing. So the ratings and the recruiting numbers, yeah, you're right. They're not as important or as crucial where we are now. Yes. Down the road, you hope that we get to that point to where we can say, what the fuck were we talking about? (laughs) They matter because we're in the top five or top ten. Which we never, honestly, we never will. I don't want to say never. but like, How dare you? That's that's lofty. Like I think top fifteen is about where Nebraska would max out on a regular basis. If and, Nebraska and cracked the it's... top fifteen, though, I'd be pretty. <laughs> no, it'd be great. I'd be pretty ramped up. That'd be great. But you have to look at things like attrition, which yeah. Nebraska has suffered a lot, and a lot of teams do. But you have to, and you have to look at the transfer portal too. Now, like that plays into this. So Nebraska, while they don't have necessarily the most stacked recruiting class on paper they were able to supplement it this year with with the transfer portal as soon as they got all those new coaches in they started bringing guys in left and right and and guys that i think we can be excited about yeah which i'm getting ahead of myself i said like let's talk about the recruiting class and i jump right into portal uh, (laughs) let's talk about some juco and some high schoolers the the guys that or i guess the groups that i'm really looking forward to seeing how they develop are defensive backs in this group which they brought in a lot uh, a lot of guys and travis fisher likes to have a lot of guys in his room he likes to have that competition he's looking for guys who are versatile who can play multiple positions they got Jaden Gould this year who's a I think he's their top rated recruit overall a lot of people are excited about him and then there's Deshaun Singleton who's not maybe highly regarded in terms of rankings but he has a very clear path to early playing time so you know I'm I'm more excited about watching him just because I think he has a better shot at getting on the field earlier there's one guy that I'm really excited about in this group who I think is a little unheralded his name is Malcolm Hartzog he is going to be a cornerback. He's not one of those guys who's going to be real versatile in this room, I don't think. And that's just because he's a little undersized, being under six foot tall. But he fits this sort of prototypical Travis Fisher guy. If you look back at guys who are currently fighting for starting positions, if you look back to them when they were recruited, guys like Quentin Newsom, Miles Farmer, Taman Lynham, Marcus Buford, those were all like low, mid-tier, three-star type guys who came in under the radar and they practice hard, they play hard, they've earned their spots on on their roster and, and they continue to climb and develop under Fisher. And so I think Malcolm has the potential to be that guy in this class. And that's in a class with, again, a lot of guys coming in, a lot of potential. And I guess to bounce over to the tra- the the transfer portal, there are some defensive backs that they brought in this year as well who are going to be looking for some immediate playing time. You've got guys like Omar Brown and Tommy Hill who are coming in to make up for the three missing spots that are going to be in our secondary and some key guys who made huge plays all throughout the entire season with Williams, Dismuke, and Cam Taylor-Britt. So in order to replace all those guys, it's good to have the portal, and it's also good to have some young talent who's going to be able to develop under that. And the nice thing is I have nothing but confidence in Travis Fisher to get those guys ready, regardless of who's playing. If they're on the field, I trust them because I trust Fisher to coach them up and, and make sure that they're ready. He'll coach them up. He'll identify his guys, and he'll get them out there, and they'll be able to play you know whatever position they're needed in. That's why one of my least favorite games in the offseason is what SEC school is trying to hire Travis Fisher. Because every year it seems like someone wants Travis Fisher on their staff and 
I could not be more grateful that he's been so loyal to Nebraska and he clearly likes this staff to be around and to coach up because I think Georgia was after him for a bit. I think there's been some other high level schools where it's like, that's kind of a no brainer to go there, but (laughs) thank you for staying. (laughs) That's so true. We should be very grateful to have him here and have him stick. Everyone needs to send him a $25 Applebee's (laughs) gift card. And as a way to say, thank you. Literally, literally whatever it takes. Just be so grateful. Anyways, other than talking about the secondary, are there other high school or junior college players that you're excited about seeing come into the program? Yeah, I'm excited about all of the guys out of Nebraska. Yeah. We got, we got three linebackers in Ernest Hausman, Jake Applegate, and Gage Stanger that I'm really excited about. They're getting, they're all under the radar type guys too, again, coming out of Nebraska. Gage is a, a he's from our alma mater, yeah. high school alma mater, uh, Go Pats. He's a versatile guy. He played multiple positions at Millard South. Right now, I think they're looking at him at inside linebacker. Ernest Hausman is getting a ton of praise. Just everything he's doing, his work ethic, his, the example, he's, his physicality, everything. And he's been one of those guys too that's been recruiting as soon as he agreed to play for Nebraska. He's been mm-hmm. recruiting for Nebraska, and those are the kind of players that I have taken immediate liking to. Where I'm like, you want to be here and you want to excel. You're playing for something more than just yourself. Yes, and those are the guys that also I feel like tend to be on the field a lot faster because they're giving it more than just the nine to five approach. You know, they're living, breathing Husker football. Yeah, and that's what you need. Like that, you feel like, especially in Nebraska, like that's a lifeblood of the program, right? And as a fan, you love to see that, especially on game day. You love to see those guys out there. Just the way that they play, it's just different. It's just, it just feels different. It looks different, and it, I don't know. It's just, it's a lot more fun to watch them succeed. So he's like, he's like the Garrett Nelson of this group, where it's like Garrett's that Scotts Bluff kid, and when he gets out there and makes a tackle, like he's not just making a tackle for himself. The entire state feels like they were <laughs> yeah. in on that. There really is this this buy-in of the individual on this grander scheme that mm-hmm. just is is unmatched. Yeah, and and Nebraska has a a recent history of that, right? Like guys still on this team who who are leading uh, that charge is Nebraska guys, you know, playing big games. So so I'm really excited to see how those those guys develop. Obviously, we got a ton of new running backs. Yeah. Uh, like an insane amount of running backs that are joining in. Emmett Johnson was the first one to commit out of Minnesota. I'm interested to see him. I think he's of the three guys that we have at this position in. I think he's probably kind of getting pushed to the back of the line yeah. in terms of expectations. But the thing that I like about him is it's kind of weird, but he did not get offered from Minnesota. Yeah. He didn't get offered from the, the home state school. And he was like the best running back in Minnesota. The dude put up almost 2,500 yards and over 40 touchdowns in his senior year alone. And so, yeah, he was Mr. Minnesota or whatever that, that is. PJ Fleck was probably just pissed that he got crowned Mr. Minnesota. <laughs> and they're like, no, PJ, that's for a high school student who plays football. And he's like, I don't care. I'm Mr. Minnesota. We're not offering Trade market. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I think he's getting kind of pushed back. And so it'll be interesting to see if like that chip on the shoulder grows and if that inspires him to, you know, when he's practicing and trying to like find his way through and, and making his way. But then AJ Allen obviously is the big name. He's he was a TCU commit. He came along with Brian Applewhite. If you watch him and his highlights, the dude is the dude can move. Like he's yeah. he's fluid, he's smooth, he's slippery. He's got incredible speed. Like his top end speed is just stupid. He's a lot of fun to watch. And then my my favorite player, like my favorite player in this class is Anthony Grant. 
Really? And it's yeah, and it's not because I don't know if he's the best running back of the three. You know, he's he's had success where he's been. He comes out of New Mexico Military Institute. He this dude is kind of a he's a bigger back. He's a bigger build. He'll fucking hit people. Like he will just he will just plow people over. I think. Nice. Yeah. One of the one of the highlight reels I watched of his like the first play I got a concussion just watching it. Like he knocked <laughs> he knocked a, he knocked this dude out. It's just. It's he was just so much fun to watch, and again, he's been successful where he's gone, and so it'll be kind of cool to see if he's able to to carve out some playing time for himself with, with just that that big aggressive running style that he has, especially in the Big Ten. Yeah. So I'm excited about him. I'm excited about the group as a whole, and then obviously they got a bunch of wide receivers too. You know, we talked a little bit about what I mean. We mentioned DeColdis Crawford. There's Janaren Bonner who came in late, and then Victor Jones Jr. is another wide receiver to keep an eye on. He's somebody that the staff has liked for a really long time before Mickey Joseph. He's a very fluid guy, very comfortable around the line of scrimmage. I call him a yak, a yards after catch king. He'll take the ball behind the line of scrimmage and he'll just take off and he'll get you those big chunk chunk plays. So. He should be interesting to watch just in the system, especially if with what Frost was doing, where Frost liked to throw a lot of those those swing passes and, and screens. I don't know what, what Whipple's going to want to do with that or how often that he'll do that, but I think that there's a place on this roster for Victor Jones. I wouldn't be surprised if with Whipple, if you see that as almost the pseudo-run game, right, is throwing the ball at the line of scrimmage and letting guys get those yards after contact as opposed to a pure handoff sort of running game. Frost was experimenting with a lot of that stuff. Whipple might have a better approach to something like that, maybe scheme that a little bit better. And with guys like Mickey Joseph coaching those receivers up to miss those tackles and to, you know, if you make one guy miss, typically that's a big chunk yard game you might get eight nine ten yards out of something like that so they, that might take the place of a lot of nebraska's run game but something tells me that they've got something up their sleeve to be able to bring in three more running backs into an incredibly crowded running back room so there's something going on with those running backs that i don't know that we're privy to just yet that's something in what rayola is going to run on the offensive line and how uh, apple white's going to coach those guys up they're selling something because I don't know why you would add to that room so heavily with the talent that we already have in there. But I also like the fact that running backs tend to be the the youngest guys out on the field. Sometimes when you bring in these new recruits from the high school level, they can get out there and they can ball out pretty early. So when I look at who I have the highest expectations for out of the high school recruits, I think A.J. Allen might make the fastest impact on this team. He might be the name we hear fastest if you think back to frost earliest part of his tenure you know we had maurice washington and then we had ramir johnson last year so we we've tend to see a lot of these freshman running backs with fresh legs who work really hard in the offseason go out and make these immediate impacts so when you talk through you know the running backs and all these skill players that are being brought in i think that we might see some immediate play time for these younger guys on that offensive side of the ball because for some reason, they just tend to be featured in this offense. Yeah. You know, there's injury history with a lot of the guys on the roster. There's inconsistent play and practice, apparently. Like, there's reasons that guys were held out of games throughout the season. So it, there are a lot of running backs in this room, but there is still a lot of opportunity. And I think that's what it, that's what drew a lot of these guys to there. I know Anthony Grant had an offer from USC, which he could have took. Yeah. You know, he could have taken that. And it's he, a hell of an offer, it's, too. Right? Yeah. It's really not a bad spot to go especially you know Lincoln Riley like there's a lot of excitement around that program right now they only have I think like three scholarship running backs which is as many as Nebraska brought in to their room in this recruiting cycle like Anthony Grant could have gone in there and probably I don't know if Nate necessarily had an easier path but at least you know number wise 
it would have made more sense. Sure. And so, yeah, there, there's something there. There's something about this group. There's something about these coaches and this offense and what they're saying and what they're planning on doing that has these guys excited. And that's got me excited. Great. So, so should we talk now about some transfers? Yeah, we can go into portal portal transfer, guys. I think that the portal additions have really reshaped the feeling around this offseason. And, it, and it's, you know, the coaches are exciting. New recruits are always exciting, but portal additions are different because these are like the instant impact guys. Mm-hmm. There's obviously some huge additions yeah. in this class in particular. The stakes are high this year with, you know, Frost maybe you feel like this is like his last chance. And yeah. so there's a lot of there's a lot of elements coming into play here, but I think it creates a really uh, a high level of enthusiasm and excitement around it. Nebraska really, I think, nailed it with a lot of these additions as far as attacking positions where they were they were weak or they had question marks um, I think they did a great job of shoring themselves up on special teams we talked about a little bit they got Timmy Bleak wrote in yeah um, as their place kicker he's the first kicker first place kicker that they've offered since 2018 which is fucking stupid I don't like <laughs> sorry like that blew my mind when I saw that he's gonna focus exclusively on field goals yeah um, and he's not necessarily going to have the biggest leg, and that's not what they they want. They want just a consistent kicker. They're talking about getting those points when they get down inside the red zone, inside the 40. They just want somebody that they can count on and provide that consistency. So that's what he's he's here for. Brandon Frankie's going to keep, I think, kickoff duties. And then why he's, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's got that locked down. Brian Buschini, uh, he's the 2021 FCS punter of the year. Yeah. Coming out of Montana. He's got a really great natural ability. Dude's got a black belt in taekwondo which I thought was interesting, but he also loves, like loves punting. It is an art form to him and, and he, he knows it. He understands it. He practices it. He studies it. It's his craft. That's all he does. He punts and he understands that he's not out there just to boot the fuck out of the ball and kick it. You know, as far as he can, can kick it, he knows different types of kicks. He knows how to place the ball. I think he's going to be an incredibly impactful addition yeah which is saying something for a punter but i think he has the right personality for a punter especially on a scott frost team i don't he's i think he's just gonna get out there and do his job yeah you know and and so he's a great great guy to get for them the other special teams guy he's a wide receiver is trey palmer yeah Um, and i counted him as a special teams guy because i think that's where his biggest impact could come from is in that return game we know that nebraska really struggled there they were one of the one of the absolute worst in that regard. Trey Palmer has the ability to bring some excitement back to that that end of the field. So special teams were the area for transfers that I really honed in on, mm-hmm. uh, because of course I would. You know, that's yeah. <laughs> I think you nailed it with the excitement around Bleak Road, Bushini, and Palmer. Bleak Road is an incredibly accurate kicker who made one fewer than Nebraska even attempted last year. He's got a leg that makes within the 50-yard line much more consistently. Nebraska's misses were his makes, if that makes sense. The the field goal ranges where Nebraska missed in the 30 to 49-yard range, he's consistent in those areas. So I look forward to him bringing that consistency into the game plan, the play calling, and not walking away from a fourth down situation when we're close without any points. We're so frustrated over all the losses we had within one score. He can add to that. When it comes to Brian Buschini, this guy, like, I, if if you if they can sell jerseys, Buschini's going to sell jerseys. Like, Nebraska fans would both ironically and unironically wear a punter's jersey because he's going to be a kind of guy that, like you said, can flip the field, can make a huge impact. In 2021, Nebraska's punters attempted 48 punts for 1,935 yards at an average of 40.31 yards. Five punts went for touchbacks. 
14 were fair caught, 12 went inside the 20, 10 went for 50 plus, one was blocked, and two were returned for touchdowns. It's a lot of stats I just threw at you, but I want to throw at you Brian Buscini's. He attempted 69 punts, nice, for 3,174 yards. That's an average of 46 yards per punt. Four punts went for touchbacks, so four compared to five. Similar numbers. 25 were fair caught. 30 went inside the 20. 28 went for 50 plus. None were blocked. None were returned for touchdowns. And that's a guy that just knows where to put the ball. He knows yeah. how to get hang time, how to get his allow for his team to get down there, his coverage. And- 25 fair caught punts, and none went for touchdowns. That's two wins back on Nebraska's board. Thanks. Thanks, Brian, for bringing us wins. But you know what I mean? Like, that's that's the exciting part about bringing him to the table, especially as a punter. The field doesn't change for a punter going from Montana to Nebraska. He's still able to do the same things. And now he's being coached by a guy like Bill Bush, who coached Sam Cook, who is a legendary punter in his own right. Yeah. And then when you talk about Trey Palmer, this is something where, again, an immediate impact. Over the last three years, Palmer returned 23 punts for 188 yards, including a 54-yard return for a touchdown. In that same time span, he had 15 kickoff returns for 394 yards and a 94-yard touchdown return. He averaged 8.2 yards on return punts and 26.26 yards on return kickoffs. Comparing that to Nebraska's production, from 2019 to 2021, Nebraska returned 35 punts for 275 yards and zero touchdowns. Nebraska's returners averaged 7.85 yards per return over that three-year span. In the same time, Nebraska returned 50 kickoffs for 878 yards, averaging only 17.56 yards. So this guy is almost 10 yards better on a kickoff return. He also has two more touchdowns in the return game than Nebraska as an entire team has had in two years against SEC competition. Yeah. To say expectations are high on the new special teams and the way that they look, and then you add in Brandon Frankie, who has an absolute shit cannon for a foot, like I think that our special teams could get into a very high territory to where it's going to be a non-issue and a competitive edge for Nebraska going into the 2022 season. Yeah. And like I was saying earlier with the offensive line, like you just want them to get back to average. I think special teams, it was the same thing. We wanted them to get back to average. This gives them an opportunity like to turn into a weapon and we can actually use them to our advantage. So very good things. It's what makes the transfer portal so great. It's good for players. It's good for teams like Nebraska to get the hell back on track in a quick way. A couple more things I wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, Nebraska did help themselves on the offensive line with Kevin Williams and Hunter Anthony, bringing those guys in. Kevin Um, Williams, UNC. Another yep, northern another Colorado UNC guy. You're right. Yeah, also from Omaha. So yeah, basically right. the same coming guy back, coming back home. I mean, it's <laughs> he's probably got like I don't know 100 and some odd pounds on you, but and an extra foot maybe. But but no, these guys I think are going to be even if they don't contribute right away, they probably will. But if they don't, they're still leaders. They're still experienced. They're coming into a young room and they and they again they just provide another body to rotate in to help find that right combination for Rayola. We've um, also had success with Oklahoma State transfers coming in and yes, playing immediately. Yeah, Darian so, Daniels came in and helped anchor a line on the other side of the ball. So. Oklahoma State does a great job. Mike Gundy does a great job coaching his guys up. He's got a great staff. So I fully expect that uh, Hunter Anthony is going to come in. and Oklahoma State and Montana and apparently UNC are slowly <laughs> becoming farm systems for Nebraska. We're like this beautiful black hole that they're just all sinking towards. It's 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 wonderful, and hopefully it starts producing wins for us. We got a couple cornerbacks in the portal as well, which we we touched on already with Omar and uh, Brown and Tommy Hill. Mm-hmm. I think Omar has a better chance to get starting t- 
time right away on uh, as a cornerback opposite of Quentin Newsom, assuming Quentin Newsom gets the starting position again. Tommy's a guy who has a little bit more eligibility. He's a guy that Nebraska wanted out of high school, who chose Arizona State over the Huskers. Um, he's coming back now, coming back around. He could start right away. Obviously, he's full of potential and full of talent. So it'll be interesting. Again, just him, Omar, all the other guys that they brought in in this class. That that whole defensive backs room is going to be fascinating to watch. There's yeah. Every spot is up for grabs, and there's so many new people. That'll be a wild little ride. And then one more guy before we get to the quarterbacks because we haven't even touched on them. Isaiah Garcia Castaneda Mm. is a wide receiver that I'm really, really looking forward to seeing. He's a big play guy. His average yards per catch while at New Mexico State was like somewhere around like 15 yards a catch. And so it's a Samori Torrey type situation. I think think that he has the potential to be, I don't want to say a better wide receiver than Trey Palmer, but a, a bigger contributor in the wide receiver room. Sure. Trey Palmer, I think, has more potential in that special teams area. Which is saying something. Like he obviously has like a ton of potential as a receiver. I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not knocking him there, but I, I don't think you're wrong in assuming that Trey Palmer is going to come in and win that return specialist job. And I think that Nebraska is lacking in that area, obviously, terribly. So I don't think it's a negative to say that Trey Palmer is going to have an effect there. And there's a lot of guys in the NFL who make a great payday. And a great legacy for themselves. I mean, Devin Hester comes to mind right away because that return position is so important when you're inside the game. And if there's anybody on this roster, uh, new or otherwise, who has confidence to match Trey Palmer, I can't even imagine. The dude has, he's yeah, he's the most confident person I've ever, I've ever seen speak. Probably rightfully so. I mean, he's full of talent and potential. And it's not, it doesn't come across as like cocky you know full of yourself it comes across as like yeah he knows exactly what he is capable of Mm -hmm. he knows exactly what he wants to do he knows that he has to work hard to get there and he does it you know so trey palmer he'll he'll be an interesting guy to watch he plans on putting on his show and i'm i'm gonna have a front row seat so we did bring in a couple quarterbacks i don't know if you heard what yeah their names are casey thompson and preston purdy preston goes by chubba nice i don't know if you've heard of either of them presumably Casey Thompson will be the starter according to everybody except for Scott Frost (laughs) he's got he's got a couple years of eligibility he comes from Texas obviously I don't know I don't even need to talk about him I mean I'm sure everybody knows about him I guess one of the things that might need to be said at least by us because we were such adamant supporters of Adrian Martinez and I still remain an adamant supporter of Adrian Martinez yeah go cats and he's always going to be one of those guys that I look at and I'm so grateful that he spent time at Nebraska he wasn't just a player who made a difference on the field, but he also represented Nebraska so incredibly well and with such high poise. Adrian gave everything and then some to this program. And I, I was so sad to hear that he was transferring, but I was so excited that there was another team out there who's going to take an opportunity and take a chance with him. And I hope that he succeeds playing in Manhattan and playing for Kansas State and just absolutely balls out on the Big 12. 100%. Yeah. I'm I'm still yeah, I'm still a huge Adrian Martinez fan. You know, I've said it all along. His, like the record that Nebraska has had with him as a starting quarterback, it's not his fault. And there's numbers no. to back that up, right? Like he just for whatever reason they couldn't they couldn't win and he just happened to be their starting quarterback. I think they actually won more with him than they would have with a lesser quarterback. Yeah. I'm excited to see what he does at his next stop at K-State. I'll be right there with you, you know, cheering him on and, and you know, hoping for his success. Yeah. That said, I think Casey Thompson provides a different skill set that Adrian just didn't have. Absolutely. They're they're two and very different quarterbacks. They absolutely are. And that's not to say like so that's not to say that Adrian Martinez couldn't throw the ball and it's not to say Casey Thompson can't 
run the ball or isn't mobile. But I, I think, you know, Casey Thompson is going to fit in very well with what Mark Whipple wants to yes. do. And I think that's why Casey Thompson is here. He could have he could have gone to a lot of other schools. Um, he could have paired himself up with a lot of other coordinators, and he chose Mark Whipple. Um, and we're very fortunate that Mark Whipple chose Nebraska because that means that Casey Thompson is here. Yeah, why not? Yeah, so, yeah, why not? But yeah, so I'm I'm excited to see what Casey Thompson brings to the table, how he helps Mark Whipple's offense along, and to see just all those things come together along with that blend of Frost. You know, what yeah. does Frost want to see out of this team also? When I looked at Casey Thompson, what was really important to me was to see what kind of quarterback he is statistically. Again, we, we talk a lot about stats, you and I do, and I think that's because the eye test can only go so far and you really want to see what the raw numbers, if they support that or if they go against that. When I was looking at Casey Thompson, I wanted to actually compare him to both Adrian, obviously, but also to Kenny Pickett because obviously Mark Whipple's got a history of coaching up Kenny Pickett. So in 2020, Kenny Pickett attempted 332 passes, completed 61.14% of those, had nine interceptions, seven yards per attempt, 11.86 yards per completion, 13 passing touchdowns, eight rushing touchdowns, and had 145 yards rushing over the whole season. In 2021, so in Kenny Pickett's Heisman finalist season, he threw 497 passes. He completed 67.2%, so he completed six more percent of his passes. Threw seven interceptions, two fewer. 8.7 yards per attempt, so he was up from 7.25. Went to 12.9 yards per completion. 42 passing touchdowns, up from 13. That's a, that's a big difference. That's a big jump. <laughs> Five rushing touchdowns, down from eight, and rushed for 241 yards. So hearing those numbers, you know what Whipple is capable of. So what kind of quarterback are you looking for? You're looking for a pass-first guy, a guy who stays in the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield, and has a big arm to make big plays and to put you in the end zone. That's what Whipple is, is gearing himself for. In 21, Adrian threw 306 passes, completed 61.8%, had 10 interceptions, 9.3 yards per attempt, 15.2 yards per completion, 14 passing touchdowns, 13 rushing touchdowns, and rushed for 525 yards. So when you look at Kenny Pickett in 2020 and Adrian in 2021, very similar numbers. He's someone who could have developed in the type of quarterback that would have exceeded potentially in a Mark Whipple offense. That said, Casey Thompson threw 261 passes in 2021, but he completed 63%, had one fewer interception than Martinez, threw 8.1 yards per attempt, 12.8 yards per completion, but he threw 24 passing touchdowns to four rushing touchdowns and only ran for 157 yards. It's very clear to see the difference between the two in that Adrian was a quarterback coach to run if the downfield or the passing option wasn't there, and that Casey Thompson is the quarterback who's going to stay in the pocket and complete something downfield. I think the reason that Adrian may have been encouraged to move on or moved on was because Casey Thompson is more of the guy to complete compete in that offense and to make that offense work. Yeah, that's an interesting thought experiment to think like what if Adrian Martinez did stick around for another year and, and was taught under Whipple and how that would look. I imagine Whipple's the type of coach who will adjust a little bit to his guys and play to their strengths. I think he's said as much like he'll he'll ask his guys like what you know what are you comfortable with what do you like to do but yeah I, I think 
Thompson just is a more natural fit. It, yeah. will, it will require less adjustment. He is definitely a pass-first guy. He wants to throw the ball a lot, but he also knows he, he knows what he's capable of as far as a runner, too, yeah. and doesn't shy away from it. He'll, he'll use his legs when he needs to, but he'll, he'll use his legs to kind of escape pressure, always keeping his eyes downfield, always yeah. looking for coverage to break down or looking for that guy to get open. When you look at the passing touchdowns versus the rushing touchdowns, it's very clear Casey Thompson's ratio aligns more with what Kenny Pickett did, what Mark Whipple wants, and the way that they're going to attack opposing defenses. Yeah. So it's it's not so much that I don't think Adrian could have succeeded in a Mark Whipple offense. He had the arm. He had the accuracy. He has the accuracy on Casey Thompson, and he threw more passes than Casey Thompson. He was a more accurate passer in 2021 than Thompson was plain and simple, but he didn't pass for as many touchdowns. He didn't create as many scoring opportunities and his ratio on those things just didn't align with what Mark Whipple's bringing to the table. So to me, it makes sense that Casey Thompson would be your guy over an Adrian or even a Logan Smothers or someone else who might be more of that dual threat quarterback. Mm-hmm. That, and two of the words that I that I marked down that I think Casey Thompson brings to this situation is stability and consistency. You know, Adrian was fun to watch. He obviously could escape pressure really well. He was he was a great runner. He he was a good thrower at times. I'm not knocking him for that. Like I like again, I hit, the losses weren't his fault. But there was just this quality to the overall offense of all or nothing. It was very explosive, but also very implosive. So I think Casey Thompson. I think Whipple. I think this new plan hopefully will bring more that consistency as far as the other quarterbacks you know those on the roster those coming in so Chubba Purdy Logan Smothers Richard Torres who's another recruit this year out of high school and Heinrich Harburg I think yeah could also excel potentially in in a Mark Whipple offense I think yeah I think any of these guys certainly have potential to fit in and to work with Whipple again if he can adjust his game plan to these guys and vice versa it'll it'll work but but don't you feel like a, a Torres like he was a pass first guy too yeah he didn't have the legs underneath him that a dual threat quarterback typically has. Yeah, Torres isn't really a dual threat. I think he is more of a pass first guy. I think that this cha- this coaching change actually worked out really well for Richard Torres, yeah. even though he committed prior to Whipple. I think this helps him out a lot. So I, and and I, same for Harburg. Yeah, Harburg's another. He's a big bodied dude. He's not a run, not necessarily a run first guy, but it, all these guys have that mobility that's going to still allow for like a little extra wrinkle or keeping defenses honest. Well, when you look at the guys in the NFL who are currently succeeding, you've got your Josh Allens and your Joe Burrows. These aren't guys who are run first guys, but they do have that elusiveness and the legs underneath them and the confidence to escape. Like if you're really looking to be coached up into what's going on right now at the next level, this is a hell of a staff in a hell of a quarterback room to be making that kind of an impact. Yeah, yeah. So according to you, we've got uh, what Patrick Mahomes, we've got Joe Burrow, we got Josh Allen on the roster now, and I don't know how many Super Bowls you're are going to win, you're, you're putting words in my mouth? <laughs> what I'm saying is there's a lot of areas for these guys to develop, and they have the toolkits, and if they stick to the plan and stick to what these coaches are teaching them, they ha- they're going to have a lot of the assets that people are looking for at the next level as well. Yes. I'm not saying that we no, got Joe Burrow no. on staff. That'd be a fucking, that would just cause chaos to be like, we got the next Joe Burrow, baby. We didn't get Joe Burrow, but we got the next one. The better, the better version. Stop. No, I honestly like the quarterback competition will be very exciting. I, I, I personally, I think Casey Thompson more or less has it just because of his experience. I, I think over for all the next couple years, that, yeah. he's got that leg up. But if, as long as all these guys stick around, I really do think that each of them brings something a little bit different, but I also have a lot of similarities, and I think that competition could be super, super fun and, I don't know, just interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think Casey Thompson, it's his job to lose. 
and I don't think he's going to lose it. We've we've seen interviews with him. We've seen him in the Husker social media. We've heard about you know him doing everything he needs to do with his offensive line and with his wide receivers and the workouts he's doing and and the leadership role that he immediately came and took. I think that he is basically playing this like he already has the job, but he's going to work harder than anyone else to ensure that he retains it. But I do think that we're going to have a lot of guys behind him who are going to be chomping at the bit. And if he goes down, there's going to be some other guys who are ready. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Mark Whipple's going to be the kind of guy to let his offense flounder just because my number two guy is not as good as my number one guy. My number two is going to always be just as good, if not better, and waiting for his opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And he's touched on that, too, a little bit about having guys ready to go and it, even adjusting his offense to them. Not like just broad, but like in a game. Yeah. If Casey Thompson, let's say he's the starter and he gets hurt and then I, uh, uh, Logan Smothers is their backup and Logan Smothers comes in. OK, you're going to see a different offense in that game. Yeah. It's you're going to see something that fits Logan that Logan has practiced that these guys know. Hopefully that that depth develops so you don't see guys, you know, rolling out there with broken ankles and broken jaws anymore. <laughs> anyway, so that that's about all I got. I don't know. If, I don't know. If, I feel like we covered most guys. It's a class that people weren't necessarily very high on and maybe they still aren't. The transfer guys boosted that quite a bit. The new hires boosted that that excitement. I think that Nebraska probably got some some key pieces that they can develop from this recruiting class and they're going to use the transfer portal to fix things now while that process is happening behind closed doors yeah Yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see hopefully they can keep more than half of these guys around for a few years and and uh, turn it into some wins yeah and i think one of the things you touched on too was the level in which frost staff recruited for a long stretch before this specific recruiting class there's a lot of guys here that just haven't developed And when you get the new staff in and some of the old guys clear out and you see some opportunities for guys to come in, develop, improve, that sort of thing, you might see that, well, we had the talent in the room. They just weren't getting the coaching they need or the opportunities they needed. So there's also that to bank on. I think about guys like Noah Pola Gates, who are probably going to be set to make some pretty good debuts this year. They're highly touted recruits who are, are going to come out, show out, because guys like Cam Taylor Britt now have moved on. Guys like Dismuke and Williams, they're not there anymore. So they've got to step up. So I'm excited to see some of those guys that we were excited about two, three years ago finally have their shot and develop into the players that we hoped they would be on their signing day. Yeah. 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 Well, shall we close it out? Yeah, we can go have another beer. Well, we got to talk about the... What's on the agenda? Saying goodbye. That's it? Yeah. Oh. Sorry, bud. You ready? Yeah. Well, that does it for this bonus episode. It's been a lot of fun to catch up in the off season and we'll probably do it again. Let's let's not kid ourselves. But we want to thank everyone who tuned in. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show for the upcoming season, just visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at wannabewalkons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We'll be dropping another bonus episode or two during the offseason, and stay tuned to our social media platforms for our official Season 2 premiere coming in July. Thanks again for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.